The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I had just arrived in London at 18 and spotted this movie marquee, Meetings with Remarkable Men. The film was about the philosopher Gurdjieff, but it was the title that spoke to me. I wanted to know people like that, people changing the world by the way they lived. I've sought them out ever since, and now we'll hear from many of them on the Victoria Moran podcast, Meetings with Remarkable Women. Welcome to the podcast. Your host, Victoria Moran, author of Creating a Charmed Life, Younger by the Day, and Main Street Vegan, invites you to conversations designed to help you thrive in your body, cozy up to your soul, and use your unique gifts to change the world. Now, here's Victoria. What sparks greatness? We could say that for Mahatma Gandhi, It was his beloved homeland, then a colony within the British Empire. For Jane Goodall, it was undoubtedly chimpanzees. And for Diane Fossey, mountain gorillas. For Cesar Chavez, it was exploited farm workers. And the greatness of Sangeeta Iyer, my guest today, was sparked by elephants. We'll learn a lot about her and about them in this episode. Hi, everybody. I am Victoria Moran, your host, and I want to give each of you my sincerest thanks for making our first two episodes of this podcast so tremendously successful. The number of downloads far exceeded expectation, and if you like what we present and you'd like to give us a five-star review on the platform where you listen, that will help other people learn about and join our meetings with remarkable women. Thank you. Thank you so much. So the remarkable woman that we're going to be talking about today is Sangeeta Iyer, founder of Voice for Asian Elephants Society, whose mission is to protect endangered Asian elephants and foster peaceful coexistence. She is also the author of Gods in Shackles, What Elephants Can Teach Us About Empathy. That book is still quite new, and it hit number one on Amazon. Oh, I didn't read you the whole subtitle. Empathy, Resilience, and Freedom. Okay, cool. And Sangeeta is also the filmmaker for the globally acclaimed and multi-award winning film, Gods in Shackles. 
Welcome, Sangeeta Iyer. Thank you so much for having me. It's really wonderful to be talking with another great woman, Victoria. Your accomplishments are also tremendous. And so it's just wonderful to have this soulful conversation. It's fun to have the soulful conversation, but I have to say it was more fun to have lunch with you. <laughs> when you came to New York a few weeks ago for World Elephant Day and you were on Good Morning America and you were so kind to make the time to meet with me and we did a little Instagram live. It was so much fun. I felt like a mere child of, I don't know, 25. So much fun. It was fun. Yeah. You know, and this is a cool thing to think about too, Sangeeta. I look at you out there in the trenches. I mean, you are seeing some very difficult things with your beloved elephants. You know of things going on in this world that should not be going on. And yet you can still take off for an hour and have fun and giggle. So that's important. Absolutely. And and I'm able to giggle only when I meet with like-minded people like yourself. You, we are on the same path. And just being with you in your presence, you know, sets me at ease. So that's really important as well. It's, it's a mutual thing. So thank you for hosting me too. And it was, I still cherish our meeting at the uh, New York City and having the vegan meals it was delicious. Yes, and yes. The company was amazing. We had lunch at PS Kitchen. So yes. anybody coming to New York City put that on, on your list because PS Kitchen is a nonprofit restaurant so that all profits go to charity. It's a fully vegan restaurant. And a high percentage of the employees are hired from people who were once homeless or incarcerated. Plus, the food is amazing. Absolutely. So, a really yeah. good spot. Now, let's talk about you. <laughs> Sangeeta, take us back to your childhood in Kerala, India. And how did that influence the woman you are today? Wow, that's a great you know, place to start. I was born and raised in a little village called Palakkad in Kerala. And it was a very humble beginning. My grandparents raised me. My mom and dad just gave birth to me and they went away to Mumbai because they had to earn a living in the city. And my grandparents raised me in this amazingly rich culture. But that culture also involves you know, visiting temples. And of course, no matter where I visited, there were elephants. And when I was a three-year-old child, my grandmother told me when I turned a teenager that when I was as young as a three-year-old child, I would ask my grandma this real deep question. How come that elephant is chained? And how come my legs are not shackled? And so it just got to a point where you know, now when I look back, I'm like, my goodness, my destiny had been carved out when I was a three-year-old child. So I, you know, elephants are a cultural icon, but little did I know at the time, obviously I was, you know, uh, I was born and raised in Kerala, as you mentioned, and I was there until I was six or seven. We never knew how these elephants are being treated. Nobody knows. So that kind of puts a sense of you know, empathy and compassion among those who do and say things 
without knowing out of ignorance out of innocence naivete and so you just feel a little bit more compassionate towards them but that's my humble beginning and then of course i moved to mumbai and then i missed my elephants and i did my immediately i moved to canada i was just a very young person i did all of my higher studies in canada so then of course elephants and i just fell apart but they never left my heart and soul i can tell that so tell us what happens in some of these festivals and religious ceremonies with elephants i think that any of us who have looked into hinduism who have studied yoga, we know about this wonderful god, Ganesh, who had the head of an elephant, who's the remover of obstacles, and how that has anything to do with the abuse of elephants is really hard to comprehend. Yeah, exactly. That's the tragic paradox. And so elephants are considered the embodiment of Lord Ganesh. And, you know, the head of Lord Ganesh has such a profound meaning. So when you look at the elephant head, the brain size of an elephant is three times as large as a human brain. And elephants are highly intelligent and self-aware animals. This is why we pray to Lord Ganesha to grant us wisdom because Lord Ganesha is considered a wise God. And then when you look at the trunk of Lord Ganesha, you think of, you know, the elephant trunk, it has absolutely no bones. It's completely muscular. It's so flexible. So we pray Lord Ganesha to make us flexible so we can adapt to this rapidly changing world. You look at the years of the elephant, enormous years. God, please help us listen more than talk, listen to our heart and soul. And so there are so many more uh, deeply divine meanings uh, when it comes to and symbolic representations when it comes to elephants and Lord Ganesha. And yet, during my visit to Kerala, I, I returned after several decades to these temples and I was utterly devastated to witness what these elephants were subjected to. You know, many elephants had tumors all over their bodies, blood oozing out of their ankles you know, the shackles cutting into their flesh. Many of them were blind elephants. And as a videographer, I voraciously started recording all these things. And I felt like, what am I going to do with this? Little did I know that, you know, the universe had a grander purpose for me at the time. So you're right. The paradoxes are stark. They're worshipped and defiled. They're called a cultural icon. And yet culture has become commerce. And these are some of the things I'm trying to help people become aware of and, you know, just tell people that, listen, you're worshiping God on the one hand, Lord Ganesha, and yet on the other hand, we are, you know, tarnishing the reputation of Hinduism, which is based on ahimsa, as you mentioned earlier, you know, nonviolence is the sacred tenet of Hinduism. And yet everything that is being done to these elephants is violent. So these are some of the things you just have to continue to, you know, sort of hammer home so people kind of awaken at some point in time. I want to ask you about cultural appropriation. 
Now you are from India and you are from Kerala, which I understand is the state that has the most temples to Lord Ganesha. So you have every right, you have a free pass to make this your cause. Let's just pretend that you were born in Canada where you live now and you traveled to India and you discovered this injustice. Would you feel in that case that you had the right to do the work you're doing now? Um, so it would be different. Uh, definitely, I would probably have even more courage and guts to do it had I not been part of that culture because I am just presenting what I saw and I have nothing you know, I, I would not be returning home, probably. I would not be visiting these temples again. Um, so there's little to lose if I went in there as a foreigner and as somebody who just, you know, visited these temples and was absolutely shocked and devastated to see these things. And yet, as a person who has been part of that culture, I could not turn away this Despite knowing that there will be a cultural backlash, I have my families in Kerala and in Mumbai and across India. So that that fear always exists. So for me, as a person who was born and raised in that culture, I have taken, uh, how would I say, I've, I've taken a lot of risks. My life had been threatened, you know, so that's the difference. Did I answer your question? Oh, yes, yes, I, I think you did. It's so interesting to look at the way animals are used and abused in every part of the world. And most of us can probably find some of it in our neighborhoods. I know when COVID first happened and everybody was talking about wet markets in China, which are terrible, but there are wet markets in New York City where I live. So it, it is interesting. I know that very often people are incredibly sensitive about staying in one's own lane and taking care of what's local before venturing out. But certainly I think when an injustice exists, we, we are one world, we are all connected and, and we all have the right to, to speak out against injustice. Absolutely. And one of the key things to also mention is that charity begins at home, which you clearly stated by explaining, you know, that we generally tend to turn away from what's happening in our own backyard. And yet, when it comes to elephants, there's something just so magnificent, so magnetic about these elephants that, you know, and especially given their sociability, the way you know, they live with their families, they thrive with their young ones, just like us, there are so many similarities between us and the elephants, you just feel that when you, in fact, when you see them suffer, you feel like that suffering is being inflicted on you. In other words, you embody their suffering when you're in their presence, at least that's how I felt. So there's that connection, which is a lot deeper um, you know, when it comes to these highly intelligent animals, and you talked about oneness, absolutely, we are all interdependent and interconnected. And we have to remember that whatever we do to other beings, on some level, we are actually hurting ourselves. Yes, yes, that is true in, in every instance. 
So um, Sangeeta, as the founder of Voice for Asian, Asian Elephants and someone who's looking at the plight of elephants around the world, tell us just a little bit that is going on with them outside the temples in South India. What, what else are elephants facing? Right. So we are, I mean, what we addressed so far uh, has to do with captive elephants. Whereas the elephants in the wild, uh, that is, I'm talking about specifically Asian elephants. There are two uh, main species, African and Asian elephants. There are approximately 40,000 Asian elephants across Asia. Fully 27,000 of them are in India. That is 60% of the Asian elephant population is, is in India. And it's astounding to think that India is going to become the most highly most densely populated country on the planet as of next year and i'm talking about human population so when you really think about it humans at this point there are approximately 1.41 billion humans already and they're going to surpass china as of next year and yet they also have the largest number of asian elephant population so here's here's the thing these are two dominant species and they need space, both humans and elephants. Elephants wander across vast areas for hours on end, 16 to 18 hours a day. They are voracious eaters. They, you know, they feed and they graze for just the same amount of time. They need a huge landscape and they graze on a wide variety of, you know, barks, berries, roots, shrubs, trees, and even soil. And humans are basically encroaching into their habitats because the human population has is about to surpass next year, and it's just really dense already in India. So 80% of the elephant habitats have been lost to human activities caused by reckless development, you know, railways cutting through the forest, uh, highways cutting through the forest, and electrical cable wires, and even agriculture, people are encroaching into the forest land and they are developing, you know, they're cultivating crops. And so they're losing their homes left, right and center. As a result, what happens? So obviously elephants have to feed a lot. So they come into the cropland, which are, you know, located right by the forest fringes and they consume the crops. And so these poor people, are you know they they depend on these crops for their own survival so human elephant conflict is intensifying and they're killing these elephants by installing high voltage fencing around their farmland poaching is becoming unbelievable especially in a state called odisha which is almost in the central india location uh, railways as i mentioned elephants are getting killed on the railway tracks in just a decade, approximately 1,200 Asian elephants have been killed. And this may seem like a small number in 10 years, but here's the key. Elephants can give birth to babies only every five years. So basically, they are being killed at a faster rate than they are able to reproduce. And as a result, their population is dwindling dramatically. And so there are innumerable issues that these people are facing, I'm sorry, that elephants are facing. And yet when you meet these poor people living on the forest fringes, you feel for them as well. So through the Voice for Asian Elephant Society that you just mentioned, we are trying to 
sort of mitigate these human elephant conflicts that are happening in many of these, you know, uh, northeastern states as well as the central states. Um, and at the same time, try to do whatever we can for the captive elephants. And I can explain about specific projects as we progress into this conversation, if you wish. Okay, that's wonderful. Because I did want to move a little bit away from the plight of the elephants and just ask you what they're like. I love your little Freudian slip where you call them people because I'm really starting to see beings as, as people. There's squirrel people and dog people and <laughs> elephant people. So tell us about the elephant people. What, what are they like? What are their lives like? What is their consciousness like? Elephant people are just, um, okay, so let me start with their sociability. Uh, they are so closely, they're family oriented and they are so closely bonded. And here's the thing you, I mean, this is a women empowerment sort of, um, you know, uh, podcast that you're doing. Guess what? Elephants live in a very, very thriving matriarchal society. And so there's a matriarch who leads a large herd and she doesn't appoint herself. She's actually appointed by the, you know, the peoples that the elephant people that she surrounds herself with. And her, her appointment depends on how wise she is and how amicable she is, her personality, and how she's, how empathetic she is, how she's able to sort of, um, you know, mitigate conflicts, even between the elephants in the herd, and how she's able to manage and sort of uh, organize the family structure. So she has, she stores a lot of intelligence that has been passed down from generation to generation. She knows exactly where to go and find water. She knows where the water holes are. She knows where she can get salt licks. She knows where she can find food. So in case of drought and everything, this whole herd depends on her. So they want to be able to be to have a matriarch who's reliable. And so they are the ones who select the matriarch. And so in, in the families, again, just like us, they have nannies, they have uh, aunties, all these aunties and nannies and sisters, they all take care of the little ones. So it's not only the mom who's completely uh, responsible for raising the baby. So the baby is raised by the entire herd. And it's just a phenomenon. And they are so self-aware. Oh my goodness, Victoria, I'll tell you. Uh, when I was filming for the National Geographic Society's um, segments, Asian Elephants 101, I came across such incredible elephants that, you know, they would they, they would never attack you until they feel threatened. So when we were inside filming, and again, I didn't go with a crew. I did all of the filming because I did not want to disturb these beautiful animals. And so if you respected them and you gave them the space, they are like, okay, you can hang out with us. We know you're not um, dangerous. And so these are some of the things that I am, and, and I've learned how empathetic they are. They are so patient. They will wait and wait and wait to see if they feel threatened. And if they don't, they go about their business. So they coexist harmoniously, even with 
people like us who intrude into their land. So there's so much they teach all these beautiful divine principles that you can learn from these beautiful animals, you know. And so it's not just that they are self-aware and highly intelligent and highly sociable, but they, they teach us life-changing lessons, life-transforming lessons. They teach us how females can come together and empower each other, just like how you are doing with other women. You know, we need to empower each other, support each other, and allow our feminine nurturing nature, just like these elephants, to shine through. There's so much we can learn from them. <laughs> we talked about your book, Gods and Shackles, and your film, Gods and Shackles, but you've also produced, as you alluded to, a 26-part docuseries <laughs> with a storytelling grant from National Geographic Society. Is that something that we can watch? Of course, it's uh, there are nine of them that have been that were world that world premiered on multiple Nat Geo channels. So I'd be happy to send you the link to that so people can watch it. And we still have a few short films that we are planning to release, have soft releases. Um, we are still sort of kind of searching for a nice streaming platform. Uh, Want to make sure that it's a robust streaming platform. We have some on Jane Velez Mitchell's uh, Unchained TV, and uh, we'll probably have some on Mojo Streaming. So we are just trying to launch as many as possible softly, but there are many of them that are already available on multiple Nat Geo channels. And okay. I'll send you the link to that, no problem. Wonderful, and we will put everything about you in the show notes at victoriamoran.com, which is not quite live as we speak, but it will be oh so live by the time that, that this airs. And speaking about the time that this airs and what is happening in your world, you have an amazing event happening in San Diego. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, I have some real, I'm so blessed to have wonderful supporters who have been part of my journey into not only producing the film, but supporting our projects with Voice for Asian Elephant Society. I talked about, you know, the human elephant conflict. And one of the main reasons we are organizing this gala, actually Kathleen Kastner, who has been part of my journey for several years, she worked so hard in organizing this event, her and her wonderful husband. And, you know, one day we were having this conversation and, you know, she has been supporting us by monthly donations, etc. But, you know, she said, I want to do more. Uh, I want to really be more involved. So I said, what do you think of, you know, hosting a gala? She said, let me think about it. She came back and she's like, okay, I'm ready. And, you know, the two of us had a conversation and this is her first gala for our organization. And, you know, we were just trying to figure out and it is just coming along so well. We are almost sold out for the tickets. We probably have about 25 tickets left. We sold more than 85 tickets or something. And so actually we sold about 100 tickets, excuse me, more than 100. And so we have about 25 more left because we don't want the theater to be totally packed. Uh, 
because we want to keep the distance and space. It's going to be phenomenal because we have a live auction happening and an auctioneer who's going to be coming there. And we have, you know, Amy uh, Berkman. She's a speed painting artist. Oh, my goodness. If you have not seen her performance, you'll be blown away. We have amazing vegan meals. We have drinks. But everything goes towards helping elephants to mitigate human-elephant conflict, in particular, for a specific project. Remember I mentioned to you, many elephants are getting killed on the train tracks. So we are creating this high-tech, high-touch technology um, called Elisense, and the indigenous people of West Bengal are creating it. So we are empowering indigenous people and we are creating this device. And here is the crux of everything. The West Bengal government, the West Bengal Forest Department, Railway Department, everybody has come on board. And in fact, the forest minister has given his commitment saying that he'll do everything possible to make sure that this project is going to be, you know, not only successful in this specific zone in the northern region of West Bengal, but we are going to stretch it across the entire state. I mean, this is nothing short of a miracle. And so the funds raised from the gala is going to be utilized for that specific project uh, to prevent elephant deaths on the train tracks. So please, everybody come along and you can actually find the information on vfaes.org slash 2022 gala. I'll send you the link again and you can post it wherever you want. Wonderful. So that's VFAES Voice for Asian Elephants Society. And what's the date, Sangeeta? Thank you. That's a good question, right? And it's happening on September the 23rd. We are just about I don't know, maybe just just over 15 days away. And I'm really ecstatic because it's happening at 5.30 p.m. in this exquisitely rustic place called the Museum of Photographic Arts, MOPA. It is located in Balboa Park, and uh, it's really beautiful. This is where my film, Gods and Shackles, was screened by another wonderful person called Debbie Dini. And this is where Kathleen and I first just briefly met during the screening of the film and look at how far we have come now. So yeah, it's a beautiful place. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. And I hear that you're having one next year on the East Coast. So uh, I'll be at that one. I can't wait for that. Absolutely. My goodness. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal. Yes. So you spoke with so much enthusiasm about the elephants and who they are. Mm -hmm. And now I want to know, and I'll bet our listeners want to know, who you are. So tell us what were you doing in the world before the elephants caught your heart? Uh, who am I? I am an elephant. <laughs> okay. Um, so elephants, as I mentioned, they had been part of my life since three years of age. Uh, but again, all of those precious memories were buried after I moved to Canada, because life took over, you know, I came to Canada, I pursued my master's in environmental education and communication. And I got my, of course, degree in biology. And um, I became an anchor woman for the ABCCBS affiliate in Bermuda. I was doing broadcast reporting in, on environment and wildlife issues in Canada. I worked for Omni Television. And so but, you know, something happened after about 10, 12 years of 
of this journalism career, I just felt like my soul was sort of um, pushing me to pursue something more. And I really did not know what I should be doing. This happened in about 2013, after I had done so much broadcasting in Bermuda for about nine years or so. Um, my soul had a had a deeper longing and so in 2013 when I was back in India uh, for my father's first death anniversary there are so many synchronistic events that unfolded which I have chronicled in my book Gods and Shackles What Elephants Can Teach Us About Empathy Resilience and Freedom and I talk about how when my when I tended to my soul's calling you know everything people circumstances events were placed on my path i'd mentioned to you briefly earlier that i started voraciously filming right and i really did not know what i was going to do with those 25 hours of footage so when i returned to canada i spoke with my you know media uh colleagues and they said thank you you have to produce a film i'm like what film i can only produce like a two to three minute short report they said well just multiply that by maybe five or ten and it becomes you know an hour worth of uh documentary i'm like hmm, that's interesting but i don't have the money they're like well go ahead and raise money <laughs> and this is how they pushed me to do this and so bill hutchison one of the most uh, amazing news night anchor for ctv canada i really give him all the credit because he's the one that inspired me to go get it go do it and when I pursued that again money flowed from all quarters it's almost like the minute I told you know I, I answered to my soul's calling and I said humbly namaste I will just do whatever you want me to do so you want me to expose the suffering of these elephants okay here you go I am serving I'm ready for it and I produced this film called Gods and Shackles and Victoria, little did I know that it would be nominated in the United Nations General Assembly. Who knew that it would garner 12 International Film Festival Awards? I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. It just goes to show that when you really tend to your heart's calling, this is what will happen. Similarly with the 26 part series you mentioned, I'm like, okay, well now I've exposed the suffering of the captive elephants, but there's so much more to be done. You know, there's so much more I need to do. And I pursued this and I presented, you know, my communications and my science and biology and broadcasting background. It's almost like the intersection of science and broadcasting and production of my news, everything culminated into what ended up being all these films. I mean, so far I've produced about 47 films, short and um, long, I mean, feature lengths. And when I look back at my life, I'm like, wow, I knew I had to now share all of these things in a book and when I wrote the book I'm like yeah okay well you like so many other people want to you think anybody's going to publish your book and of all the publishers Hay House picked it and that was my first and the foremost publishing company and they just embraced it I cannot believe how life transforming this whole journey has been you know so that's a little bit about me. <laughs> wow. I would like to just take a, a little breathing moment over what you said. When I tended to my soul's calling, the people showed up, the money showed up. 
that is a really important concept. Hmm. Let's think about that for a second. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Okay, Sangeeta Iyer, you are so inspirational and so motivational. And I also loved what you said earlier about how you had had the training in broadcasting. You didn't think it was to be a documentary and you thought that what you could do was two minute news clips, but that training, that experience led into what you're doing now. And I tell this to my students at Main Street Vegan Academy. Don't just say, oh, I never want to look at accounting or healthcare or whatever it was that I did before. Now I want to do this other thing. But mm-hmm. what you did before has mm-hmm. prepared you for exactly. what you're about to do. So just be grateful for that stuff and exactly. see what it's given you. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, as I mentioned, it culminated into all of this. And you're absolutely right. I love the way you put it. I was being prepared for this grander mission. But if I had not answered to my soul's calling, that grander mission would not have been served. And I mean, it's just beginning. Like I, I People ask me, so what, are you, what are your next steps sometimes? What are you going to do? I don't know, honestly. I'm just answering to my soul's calling. What is next? There are so many things that pop up in my mind. And it's like, okay, I, you know, just sit and reflect and whatever resonates and the soul will just guide you. And that's where I just think that we women, we have the capacity to really stop and pause, but we need to do that. And for me, mother nature has been really instrumental in helping me connect because when I'm in the natural world, I really, really embrace the creatures of the earth. I see that them performing these grand functions. And these are some of the things I've even presented in my book about a beautiful, you know, Canadian goose and geese family that I met and how they, you know, inspired me. So nature inspires me and mother nature is a feminine and we all can actually get ourselves grounded by connecting with mother nature. That reminds me, Sankita, we always like to know how other people live. So you have shared with us that you get a lot from your relationship with the natural world, but tell us about the rest of your life. What do you do in the mornings? What do you do all day long? How do you take care of yourself? How do you find balance? Mm, I love that question. Yeah, I start my day I have a ritual. I start my day with a prayer service. So I spend about half an hour in front of an altar and I have Lord Ganesha, obviously, and I have, you know, goddesses, Lakshmi and Saraswati. Saraswati is the goddess of wisdom and Lakshmi is the goddess of wealth. And I love, um, you know, my Hindu philosophies, although I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not a religious person. I am a practicing spiritual person and so I wake up in the morning 
And of course, I meditate. My meditation is by listening to motivational tapes and listening to a 20-minute meditation by either Deepak Chopra or Louise Hay or Dr. Dwayne, uh, Wayne Dyer. And I, uh, you know, I spend some time uh, praying and then I do journaling because I spend half hour praying and then half hour journaling because I want my spirit to tell me what is it that you want me to do today and then of course I kickstart my day I have meetings you know with my team in India consistently I generally talk to them first thing in the morning and before 10 10 o'clock and there's this empowerment stuff that we do a little powwow and what are you doing and then I speak with my team here who's helping me with my voice for Asian elephant society I speak with my supporters donors and of course I think of what I'm going to do for the elephants continue to um, do the work that I do it's not an easy job to be involved with uh, trying to um, deal with different teams in different time zones and at the same time consistently connect with the government officials make sure that they are available. And when I hear of something, I immediately call them. So it's just a 24-7 work. And so in order for me to function harmoniously and peacefully with everyone, because a lot of things that you see, how people treat other animals, it can really drive you mad and angry. And you just, you know, you just want to do something to stop it, something even mean sometimes. And then you, you know, if you don't ground yourself you just do things out of control you know so this mindfulness and being aware of those thoughts that you know trigger all these actions is so critically important i do that throughout the day like when i feel angry i just retreat and i drop into my heart and you know one of my favorite uh, you know feminist authors is megan watterson and i tell you that woman i i look up to her so much and she talks about feminism and mary magdalene and how you know women have been relegated to the bottom of the totem pole and how we need to empower each other by telling our stories you know stuff that we go through as children you know i have gone through a horrific childhood and there are so many children i mean so many women that have been through their own suffering so how do you cope with it by journaling by communicating by having a community of women that you can talk with openly and honestly who will not judge you so i do have those groups as well and this is what keeps me going and at night before i go to bed i try not to watch the newscast obviously it's so toxic and i try my best to sort of wind down i have a cat hazel and the two of us are just so deeply connected she's sitting right next to me she's another beautiful feminine in my life and uh, yeah she her one hug and one look from an animal can be so incredibly soothing these are all these things that i inculcated in my life to keep me grounded i have a beautiful community of people and elephant people as we mentioned earlier Oh, that's, that's lovely. I love it. So I do have, I, I know that you have many, many things to do as you're planning for the gala and all the rest that you have going, but I do have a couple more questions about the elephants before we part today, because some of the information that you have discovered is utterly fascinating. You say that elephants can help combat climate change. How do they do that? 
Wow, yes, that's, uh, yeah, that's, and this is what I earlier mentioned about coexistence. So what elephants do, they are the largest living land mammal. And as mentioned earlier, they wander across vast areas for hours on end. And as they do so, they trample the softwood trees, the weeds and all these things that, you know, prevent the sunshine and rain from penetrating the soil. So basically they open up the forest floor. And as a result, you know, the hardwood trees can absorb these amazing nutrients that is the rain and sunshine because they are now abundantly available because they've been absorbed by the soil. And so these hardwood trees, they sequester a lot more carbon than the you know, weeds and softwood trees, etc. And according to the International Monetary Funds, one single African forest elephant can is worth approximately 1.75 million US dollars in terms of carbon sequestration. So they not only do the ecological functions that I just described earlier, but they store carbon in their own bodies. That because they're enormous. Right. And additionally, when they wander across vast areas, they disperse seeds in their dung. So elephants consume approximately 400 pounds of fodder every single day, bark, berries, fruits, seeds and soil and roots, etc. And what they do is they, they disperse wholesome seeds. So basically they don't chew like the cattle. They just it's like take in and, and send it out. You know, they take it from one end and send it out the other end. And so their seeds tend to be wholesome. So these seeds are dispersed across the forest floor when they wander when in their dung. So each elephant, uh, you know, drops approximately 300 pounds of dung per day, per day, each elephant, think about that. And in that dung are precious seeds. And these seeds become trees and trees give us oxygen to breathe and take up the carbon dioxide. Can you believe that the amount of functions that they perform, plus they create pathways for other animals to walk to the water holes and open up the space for them as well. This is how they coexist harmoniously. So that's how they help us, you know, with uh, climate mitigation indirectly and directly. That's a lot. And that is, is completely surprising to me. I said I had two questions, but you answered both of them. <laughs> so everybody, do you love this woman or what? We should all get together at PS Kitchen and have a wonderful lunch and talk about saving elephants. So you can find Sangeeta at vfaes.org. That's Voice for Asian Elephants Society. Org. There's information there if you're on the West Coast and interested in the September 23rd gala. That is on the website. You can also find their wonderful work at vfaes.org on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter. There's a different little punctuation. There's an underscore before the org. We'll put all that in the show notes at victoriamoran.com. And then you won't have to be taking notes while you are walking your dog or driving your car or running on the treadmill. Whatever you're doing, we're just so happy that you're with us. And Sangeeta Iyer, what a blessing 
to have spent this time with you today. Do you have a little last word? I know you need to scoot. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, it has been my honor and such a great pleasure to be speaking with a kindred spirit such as you. And you are such a beautiful interviewer. Your questions were amazing. You were listening carefully. Thank you so much, Just Like the Elephants. The last thought I would like to say is I would really love for people to remember consistently that we are all connected and dependent on each other and we need to think about not just ourselves but what is it that we can do to serve the greater good just like the elephants and just provide and ensure that we harness our gifts never second guess our uh, our god-given gifts and just ask the spirit to guide us. That's all I would say, because we are all interconnected and we all have to support each other so we can make this planet a better place, not only for us, but for all species on the earth, including, of course, the elephants. Thank you so much, Sangeeta. Thank you so much. Go out and save some elephants. <laughs> Thank you so much for this opportunity and you are awesome. Thank you, Victoria. Bye-bye. Back at you. Thank you. And lovely listeners. This is our time now just to hang out. If you listened last week, you heard me say that some people had mentioned that they really wanted a little bit of time at the end to just kind of be. And so we can do that right now. Just us. I can fill you in on a couple of things that are going on in my world. And then if you mention anything on the Victoria Moran podcast listeners group on Facebook, which I'd love it if you joined, or if you contact me through the website or some other way, we can just have a little bit of dialogue. It's not quite like in the old days of radio. You know, when I had the previous show, Main Street Vegan, on Unity Online Radio. That was a radio podcast hybrid situation. So certainly in the earlier days when people were doing more listening in real time, we had callers and wonderful things happen. Somebody called in 2015 and asked if I would produce his documentary. And I thought, well, of course not. I don't know how to produce a documentary. But then he told me it was going to be about spirituality and food choices. And I thought, you've just offered me to do something with my two passions. So I have to say yes, and I'll learn later. And that was the film, A Prayer for Compassion. So it's pretty cool when you can have back and forth conversation. We're not quite having that. But certainly, if you have anything that you want discussed or addressed here at the end on the program, just let me know that because I am here to serve you and I'm just so happy that you're listening. So a couple of things coming up. I want you to know that on September 25th, the Compassion Consortium, which is an organization that I am involved with, it is an interfaith, interspiritual, interspecies spiritual center that is some people's spiritual home. Some people don't have a faith tradition or they left a faith tradition and they just hang out at the Compassion Consortium, which is spirituality for animal advocates. And they love that. And other people are very much um, Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they still like the Compassion Consortium because this is kind of a place where people who really care about animals can have that side of them nurtured and appreciated. So 
on September 25th, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. We have our wonderful celebration service, which has all the stuff that you remember from church if you grew up in church. So we've got prayer and meditation and music and all that. And we also have an interview with somebody fabulous. And on September 25th, we just decided to pull out the stops and make that interview happen with somebody exceedingly fabulous. And she is Ivana Lynch. Now, you probably know Ivana Lynch. Certainly, you know her if you're a Harry Potter fan, because when she was a teenager, she was Luna Lovegood in the last four Harry Potter films. And since then, she's gone on to do so much good in the world as an animal advocate, as an author. Her beautiful book, The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting, uh, is actually in the RSS feed for this podcast because she was on the Main Street Vegan podcast last year. And that is such a beautiful book about growing up and about her overcoming a struggle with anorexia. And she is now doing a wonderful podcast with Melanie Joy. So Ivana Lynch, September 25th, if you're interested in being part of that, there's absolutely no charge, but you do need to register to get the Zoom link. And you can do that at compassionconsortium.org. So thanks for taking a look at that. Also, what I have coming up shortly thereafter is a new Main Street Vegan Academy course live on Zoom on weekend days in October. And if you happen to be a vegan and you want to up your game and get the Main Street Vegan Academy certification as a vegan lifestyle coach and educator and entrepreneur for that matter, lots and lots of our graduates go on to start businesses and do amazing things out there in the do good marketplace, uh, look into the course. You can find all the information at MainStreetVegan.com. And because you are a listener to this podcast, I would just love to give you a code that will save you 20% off your Main Street Vegan Academy tuition. And that code is KINDNESS20 with a capital K. So that's pretty much it for what I have to share on this lovely afternoon. And I just trust that wherever you are, whatever you're facing, and whatever you're pondering, that you have an open space for light and inspiration and wonder. Because if you're in a great place where you're just pushing forward and everything is working magnificently, hallelujah, we all celebrate you. And if you're in that proverbial hallway, where it's looking like, gosh, I'm not seeing any light at the end of this thing. We're just going to know with you that it's there. Go out now and be remarkable. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can learn more about Victoria or contact her at victoriamoran.com. Be part of her inner circle by joining the Victoria Moran podcast listeners group on Facebook and if you're a vegan looking to up your game, check out Victoria's acclaimed training and certification program, Main Street Vegan Academy, at MainStreetVegan.com. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. 
Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.